Stanford University.
Welsh was the mother tongue, English was his. He taught her the body by fetishist quiz, father and daughter on the bottom stair. The benelin, you elbow, to wash the, you hair. Chin, you to andy, head, you to bend. She promptly forgot, made him do it again. Then he folded her drum and calling it fist, held it to show her knuckles and wrist. Let's keep it from mum as a special surprise. Lips, a boogie side, shagai, our eyes. Each party touched in their secret game, thrilled as she whispered its English name. The mother was livid when she was told. We agreed no Welsh till four years old. No English till four years old. She listened upstairs, her head in a whirl. Was it such a bad thing to be daddy's girl? <laughs> um, I'd like to read uh, a poem in Welsh now so that you can hear. I, I don't suppose that many people here have heard uh, the Welsh language. And I'm going to read a poem through com completely in Welsh to see what you think it's about, and then I'll, then I'll read the translation. Heddiw, trodd y sigldi gwt yn wagteg. Gwyliaeth yn y falus wrth i wasg yn nant, symud papurau newyddion y dydd i lawr o'r mynyddoedd yw rhwygo'n rhaks ymheiriant i pentre. Ni hydi'r wagteg, roedd yn hunan gytun fel o'r blaen ac yn moes ymgrymu'n ddwfn i'r golau ar geri. Roedd ydyn nhw'n weld yn y derin mwy chwym, er bod ganddo lai o gytseiniau i'w cario. Wychiodd swallows sy'r abertaeli yw'r ffwm hen eu hadenu fel corpstryw yn agor gwyn rhywiol yn osbeth. Mae eu crig yn rhan anatod o'n hennau di, sŵn eu hoen yn ddyfnach na ddieithwech neu ddistawrwydd neu boen. Now, I'm not going to ask for guesses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to explain this um, is part of a book, a detective uh, story I wrote about who killed the Welsh language. Because if it's dying, then the metaphor demands that there's somebody who murdered the language. So I followed the metaphor through to its logical conclusion. And this is the start of looking at the implications of what, what happens when a language dies. What's in a name? Today, the wagtail finally forgot that I once called it Sigurd Gut. It didn't give a tinker's toss, kept right on rooting in river moss, no longer musable. Relieved, perhaps, that someone would be noticing less about its habits. Magpie's fear of men lessened as we'd lost one means, the word pioden, of keeping track of terrorist birds out in the back. Shayan <laughs> Wen is not the same as Smew because it's another point of view, another bird. There's been a cull, Guilan's gone, and we're left with gull and blunter senses till that day when swallows like Gwenol might stay away. 
Um, I, I want to read another poem from that book, which was originally in Welsh, and uh, then uh, I translated into English. I'm going to start off uh, in Welsh, and then I'll, I'll, I won't do the whole poem in Welsh, but uh, it's really about the effects of being bilingual, um, because it sensitizes you to language more than uh, normal, perhaps, for a poet, even more, more so than normal. Um, and, uh, well, here we are. Uh, I could say more about that, but perhaps I'll let the poem speak. Um, in this detective story, the poet is the first person to be questioned. I thought it was only good manners to put myself in the spotlight first. Uh, except the poet is rather uh, complacent. Um, the language, who is an old woman, has been discovered uh, a body in the house. And that, this is the poet's mother. Cyfweliad a'r bath. O edrych yn ôl, rwy'n beor cyfieithu. Dechreuais yn un naw saith i'r tri ar ei ardd ysgol. Dim ond, tybyn o sbrioedd i ddechrau, a mewn rheg am y wefr, ffacof. A hoffais deimlo mwg a'i iaith yn hefn y llwnc, a braf chwerl i gen hyn. Mother tongue. This is the poet speaking. I started to translate in 73 in the schoolyard for a bit of fun to begin with. The occasional fuck for the bite of another language's smoke at the back of my throat, its bitter chemicals. Soon I was hooked on whole sentences behind the shed. <laughs> and lessons in Welsh seemed very boring. I started on print. Jeeves and Worcester, Dick Francis, James Bond, in Welsh covers. <laughs> that worked for a while until Mam discovered Jean Clady inside a Welsh concordance one Sunday night. There were ructions. A language, she screamed, should be for a lifetime. Too late for me. Soon, I was snorting Simenon and Flaubert. <laughs> Had to read much more for any effect. One night, I OD'd after reading far too much Proust. <laughs> I came to, but it scared me. <laughs> For a while, I went Welsh only, but it was bland, and my taste was changing. Before too long, I was back on translating, found that three languages weren't enough. Ugh, in German, was easy. Rilke, a buzz. For a language fetishist like me, sex is part of the problem. Umlauts make me sweat. <laughs> so I need a multilingual man. But they're rare in West Wales. And tend to be married already. <laughs> if only I kept myself much purer with simpler tastes, the Welsh might be living. Detective, you speak Russian, I hear, and Japanese. <laughs> Could you whisper some softly? <laughs> I'm begging you. Please. <laughs> um, I'm going to leave poems about uh, linguistic issues uh, for the moment and uh, go on to talk a little bit about uh, depression. I suffer from depression and uh, was coming out of a serious bout and I had been looking for a kind of book which had short paragraphs um, while I was sick and it didn't exist, so I thought, well, as I was recovering, I would, I would write it, and that it would not be a book 
that uh, would have too many words, but that would be also very encouraging. So um, I wrote a book called Sunbathing in the Rain. Every serious episode of depression is a murder mystery. Your old self is gone, and in its place is a ghost that is unable to feel any pleasure in food, conversation, or any of your usual forms of entertainment. You become a body bag. Moving a pile of book, books can take days, as the objects in a room have a stronger will than your own. You are both the corpse and the detective. Without alibis, work, a social life, there's nowhere to go. Your job is to find out which part of you has died and why it had to be killed. Now, I did a fair amount of investigating myself, um, and uh, I've discovered that usually, when I'm not doing what I should be creatively is when I get depression. So um, this has made me think about the connection between creativity and mental illness quite a lot. Poetry is my lie detector test, the best way I have of detecting my own bullshit. If I'm unsure about what I think of a situation and try to write a poem about it, I can make sense of it. Any lies in my thinking, any self-indulgence, simply won't scan. And I have to abandon them and move on to what will work practically, both in the poem and in my life. Poetry represents the minimum amount of reality that I require to live well. Poetry has required a fluffy image, which is totally at odds with its real nature. It's not pastel colours, but blood red and black. If you don't obey it as a force in your life, it will tear you to pieces. Um, another thread in this book is little bits of advice that I have to give, um, basic things that I discovered, which may seem obvious, but are not obvious to people going through a depression. I'd just like to read one of these um, discoveries. Oh, the first one of this is, uh, don't attempt the Bible, War and Peace, or Allah Rishesh to Tom Pertu when you're depressed. <laughs> I've done all these things myself. Um, the other one is, uh, not to join a gym for the first time in 15 years. <laughs> don't make any decisions while you're depressed. It's one of the illusions of depression that at last you're seeing life as it is, stripped of its frills. So now you can make the drastic resolutions that seem to be required in the circumstances. My advice is do nothing in this state. You'll see why when I tell you the decisions I've taken when low have included, one, leaving someone, two, staying with the same person, <laughs> three, running away to Brazil, four, going blonde, Scuppered by my hairdresser, who refused to do it without a doctor's note, <laughs> confirming that I was of sound mind. Five, training as a radio operator on board a Scandinavian tanker and going to sea. Six, taking the veil. Seven, growing potatoes in the Scottish Highlands. Eight, baking my own bread and wearing a brown skirt. Nine, all of the above. There may be an element of reality to many of your resolutions, but depression is not so much a disease of what you want as how you want it. 
there will be plenty of time to become a nun when you're feeling more cheerful. <laughs>
I feel his pull in my blood salts. The comet's tail is a searchlight from another point, and the point is, once you've given your heart, there are no replacements. Oh, your soul, if that can escape from its own black hole. What is her vanishing point? Now that she's dead, but still close by, we assume she's heard our conversations, <coughs> out of sight, out of mind. On her inward journey, she's traveled beyond the weight of remembering. The G-force lifts from her laboring chest, forgetting the gift of lightness. She's sped vast distances. <coughs> Already she's shared her many bodies, cancer, hope, regard, marriage, forgiving. Get rid of time and everything's dancing. Forget straight lines, all's blown away. Now is honey from the bees of night, music from the bees of day. Um, one of the things that I did after coming out of this bad depression I mentioned was that uh, Leighton and I went to uh, sea. We decided to sail around the world in a two-handed yacht. Um, it seemed logical at the time. Um, we spent a lot of time in Spain, and uh, I became completely entranced with the, uh, the name of a town nearby us. It's actually quite an ugly town, but uh, this became Love poem. I want to be as close to you as the name San Juan de Aznalfarache when you struggle to say it. A tune in the head you can't forget. A name full of vitamins. A place where once a poet was king of Mudejar origin. A word so rich that I catch in your fillings. A taste, a rhythm. San Juan de Aznal Farache, San Juan de Aznal Farache. <coughs> Stumble, stutter me, before moving on to the African citadels. Make your tongue touch ever so gently the back of your teeth. No, let me show you, like this. Um, <coughs> I'm working at the moment on a, a series of poems about birds. Um, and my next book is going to be called The Sparrow Tree. Um, at home, we have this very humble tree, and this is, this is what happened. The Sparrow Tree. The blackbird did it. I had this tree where sparrows nested, my aviary. I welcomed a blackbird, but I was wrong. This, a better class of song, went calling on the sparrow's nest. Guess the rest. What use is an empty sparrow tree? You think I've blackbirds? They moved on to kill elsewhere. I have no tune to trust, no subject, only thorns for comfort. Yes. Imaginary birds, but that's not it. A bus roars past. These branches thrown to content just this second gone. 
I don't know if any of you have heard it, but uh, do you know what an SPJ is? It's the name for a small brown job when you can't identify a small bird. <laughs> <laughs> and then the a large brown job as well. But, uh, uh, anyway, this poem is Small Brown Job. May you be accompanied on all your walks by a subtly marked but unidentified bird which dodges ahead keeping one modest branch between it and you. May your desire for its name only increase, and may you never learn its secret, such as how dinosaurs smelt of lichen, nor how Rumpelstiltskin felt. <laughs> what do birds say? Friday, I heard a sparrow call, me! Me, not the other. A difficult day. Saturday, I heard them say, You, you feed me bread. I give you pleasure. <laughs> I shouted back, No prid pro quo. That was a bitter day. On Sunday, I heard it. We, one skin thinner, the bird and I sang and folded together. Syrinx, Logos. Feather, cry. Murmuration is the uh, collective noun for a, uh, a group of starlings. Murmuration. I fell among starlings, birds of the damned, landing a fluster of fussing leaves on ginkgo in winter. I understand myself to be single, a rebel, but they survive by repeated erasures of I. I loathe the collective, so announce, I'm off. They rise and catch me in their fire and smoke, and I have no hope. I'm metaphiling to magnetic field, insisting, dragging me back to the fold. It's a draft of myself, improved and erased at a single stroke. The chosen tree is blood red with berries. I settle, a sigh of hunger, cries of glee, crackling with electricity, tut tut woe, gossiping, grumbling against the terror of being alone. I tell you, we had that bush by the throat. Um, some of you know I've become <clears throat> obsessed by hummingbirds here because we don't um, uh, we don't have them at home, and uh, I think it was Lisa described it as um, seeing a unicorn. You know that such such darling birds exist. So um, I'm going to read <coughs> a poem about hummingbirds. Excuse me. <coughs> Project Joy. One. You can't save me. I need hummingbirds. My heart's a fountain, attracting jays which jeer and bicker. Nectar, they said. You offer food. I flew to the store, bird in the blood. Set up the drip, because I'm sick with wanting one to sip me. No, Black Phoebe, no two chickadee. I have the hummingbird that never comes. The one expected in every strobe and shake of pine tree shadows. 
This is not a bird of words. I want to be seen by a vicious eye, beak poised a needle in a quantum cloud, blurred wings, bird crucified on wires of air, most private creature. Don't move. Now, that's it there. Two. Now I don't want one. I see them everywhere. <laughs> spent a long time uh, on a boat, in fact we still have a boat, um, but I went to a, a, a festival and was invited, I had to, it's a long story, I had to, you know, the poet, people make poets do funny things, I had to read on his boat, and uh, in fact all I was interested in was looking at the uh, facilities of the boat, and the man invited me back the following day, so I had a good look around. This is. Um, the feeling of going below when you haven't been below in a boat when you haven't been for a while. And I'll finish with this poem. Sea virus. I knew I should never have gone below, but I did. And the fog of bilges and wood caught me aback. The sheets of my heart snapped taut to breaking as a gale stronger than longing filled the sail inside me. To be shot of land and its wood smoke, to feel the keel cold in the current, to see the mast inscribing water like a restless pen writing a fading wake. It's true, I'm ruined. Not even peace will do to keep me ashore now. Not even you. Thank you very much. Does it have any impact on, on your English? 
I think it must. Um, I think there's, there's a, 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 some kind of bleeding from the Welsh into the English. But I think what happens, the, the source of it is, I remember not being able to speak English. So I'm doing everything I can possibly do to make up for that. And if that, that spills into other languages. Um, so I think if you, um, I mean, I remember not, not understanding what people were telling me uh, on, and, you know, playing on the, on the street. So I think that's the, that's the core experience. And it seems to me that, you know, the more eloquence or the more resources you have available, the better. And also, once you've learned, you've kind of lost your virginity with English, you might well carry on. Linguistically. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
writing an elegy for a friend who I spoke Welsh with, I would never write it in English. Um, it, would, it would be rude. It's that kind of thing. I'm Mary. So, you were the, the, the author of the largest poem yeah. in the world. What is that poem about? Because I, I looked at it, but of course I can't read it because I well, I, I should explain. It's, it's, um, there's a new building in Wales, in Cardiff, called the Wales Millennium Centre, and they, they phoned, it's a building designed um, to have three lines of writing across the front, and they're six foot high stained glass windows. Um, now, somebody I know phoned me on a Friday afternoon. They tried for years to get the words for these, uh, for this, this poem, or it's not a poem, it's, it's an inscription. Um, and they had failed, and they said, well, if there's no words that we like by Monday, uh, they won't be in the building. Um, it'll just be plain windows. So uh, I said, well, I'll have a go at it over the weekend. <laughs> and they did, and it, it worked. Um, so the poem, the, the words are in Welsh and English, but they're not translations of each other. So the Welsh says, Craig Weir, Fel Widder, or for creating truth like glass from inspiration's furnace. And then the English says, in these stones, horizons sing. And uh, what I like about it now is that people say in Cardiff, if they go into the theatre, they say, I'll meet you under the words, you know? <laughs> it seems nice to me. Uh, very, again, it's a good thing for a, a nation that has a good uh, poetic tradition to have that in a, in a brand new building. <clears throat> so it's really here. Yeah, thank you for um, for the poetry that you shared and also the comments that you made about the, about the depression and the way you talked about its relation to your creativity. And um, I was wondering if um, the, the poems that you wrote were lighthearted and um, you said you started writing when you were coming out of it. Uh, that transition interests me. You know, how uh, do you feel like if you fall into a depression, do you feel like you're kind of waiting, waiting till you can create again? And you notice a borderline? Oh, well, I think if you're in a bad depression, you don't care about anything. Um, anything at all. Uh, but I'm all—I mean, I'm always looking for an opportunity to write something um, if I'm well. In the in between, <coughs> I think actually that I write when I'm well, and, and uh, you know, the aim is to try and minimise uh, the periods when I'm not well and. Uh, um, minimize the times when you know you can have a, a rich and creative life of which writing poetry is one part, not the whole thing. Um, so I haven't. I'm afraid I can't say anything about the in-between period except uh, that it's great when it starts coming back. Uh, you <coughs> spoke about this somewhat, but. So what is the condition of Welsh? Being Welsh? No, the language. 
Yeah, we have, in other words, is it about is it being uh, revived? Is it twenty uh, percent uh, of the population speaking, and uh, it is in decline, but the rate of the decline has slowed. But that's as good as it gets, um, and I fear that it uh, it is in decline, and it's changing. It's thinning out. Um, the kind of Welsh that's being spoken is not as idiomatic. Uh, that's because you know young people have been exposed to television in Welsh. We have our own television channel and radio channels and so on and so forth. I mean, I think much the same is happening in English. Is, say, is there a Welshish? People talk about Spanglish. Uh, it's called Wenglish. Wenglish. That's English with the Welsh yeah. uh, um, words mixed in. And yes. But there is a Welsh dish as well, uh, which is a little It goes both ways. Yes, it does. Well, I was going to ask, I know that you were a writer in residence in the astrophysics department. Yeah. Um, and I've done a lot of things in the sciences. I'm just wondering, what is it about the sciences that feeds or informs your work, or what that experience specifically as the writer residence in that department is like? Well, it was fantastic. Um, I got the opportunity to get tutorials in astrophysics, and then we, we had such a good time, we went on the following term to particle physics. Um, <laughs> I, I was hopeless in the sciences in school, and um, it, it's always remained a piece of unfinished business for me, and I absolutely love the attention to language, particularly in physics. Um, uh, I think of all the, of the sciences, um, they seem to be the most aware of what it is to say something about a, a, um, a piece of reality or a, a, a particle or, or so on. Um, they, they know that the words that they're using are metaphorical. Um, you know, if you describe a particle as a billiard ball, well, it's sort of like a billiard ball, but it's sort of like a cloud as well. It's, um, they know that the language they're using is provisional, and this is what poetry is like. Um, I love the precision. I, I, I don't like poetic language at all. I like words that are used in a way that they kind of, you know, they have a, an edge to not an edge but a point that they're, they're precise like mm -hmm. a pair of tweezers you know mm -hmm. um, and this is how language is used in science it should be used in poetry that way um, but it was a tremendous education really wonderful it opened my eyes to all kinds of things uh, uh, not only about uh, out there you know and, and in here but uh, about language
Nuala Nijomnal um, put me on to this in a way because she said that many of her relatives who had forgotten their native tongue had difficulties, um, psychological difficulties and mental illness as a result. And this made me think that there in fact is an important way, because your first language is more intimately hardwired into your brain, um, there seems to be a problem with losing that. Um, so I think we have to keep all the rhythms that we have and use them, you know, um, to, to have a full expression and to make full use of the brain. But neurobiologically, I haven't proved it. Um, I did offer once to be scanned. Uh, you know, Alice, um, Alice um, oh, uh, what's she called? The lady who wrote um, Hypergraphia. Uh, Alice, I've forgotten her name. Anyway, but she's doing something about the muse. She's a neurobiologist in Harvard. And um, she's uh, uh, trying to pin down the muse as a physical entity. You know? <laughs> I think it would be fascinating to, to see when her book comes out. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.